Hello, I'm Lindsay Kemp, and this is the Women in Leadership UAE podcast. Using life history narratives, this show celebrates women's achievement and the development of women's empowerment in the United Arab Emirates. And this season is supported by a research grant from the Sheikh Saud bin Saka Al Hasmi Foundation for Policy Research. In today's episode, we bring you the life history narrative of Katrin Mullen, Grants and Scholarships Director at the Sheikh Saud bin Saka Al Hasmi Foundation for Policy Research. Let's hear from her. Katrin, um, what we're going to do today is to actually take you back to your past, because we're really interested in hearing the journeys of women from where they started to where they are now. So, Katrin, where were you born? I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota, which is in the middle of the United States, right next to the Canadian border. And tell me a little bit about your memories, you know, when you were a kid, a bit about your family. I am the oldest of three children. My parents were both working. My mom worked for the city of St. Paul. She started out um, in the police call center and IT section of the police force. And my father was an electrical engineer by training who then went on to get an MBA in business and did a lot of overseas travel in Asia and China. Um, when I was growing up. So both my parents worked outside the home and I've always had strong role models when it came to professional lives and also a strong family life. We had a lot of good memories um, traveling as a family together and I think a lot of my kind of early memories of the home are obviously with the family but also just watching my parents leave work for work every morning and coming back in the evening and hearing more about what they did in their day jobs and especially with my dad when he started traveling more for his job he'd come back with you know little trinkets for all of us kids and you know stories of what it had been like on that trip in particular we'd we'd have to time our phone calls with him when he caught up with us um, while he was traveling given the time differences in Asia and my mom always enjoyed travel but um, both of them were from the Twin Cities where I grew up and my grandmothers were both there uh, they had actually both worked as well and again strong role models for for professional women and what you could accomplish even back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s um, when most women weren't working outside the home. And my one, my, one, my one grandmother in particular was quite, uh, I think, a strong influence in the sense that she was the second youngest of 13 children. She would grew up in a farm in northern Minnesota um, during the Great Depression and her family didn't have enough money at the time to support all the kids. So she actually came down to the Twin Cities, St. Paul, in high school and worked in someone's home as 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 house help and went to high school at the same time and then found a way to find a scholarship to go to school for nursing at university and then she was working as a professional nurse um, and did that for a number of years and got married very late for the time um, and had my father very late at the age of 40 and then he was an only child and her husband died when he was about three and so again she was working um, supporting her son as a single parent um, all the way through the 50s, 60s, early 70s. And when she finally retired from nursing, that's when she traveled the world. So I think the idea of working and travel and being exposed to different ideas and places has been kind of part of our family's history, which is surprising given that it's um, kind of the middle of 
the U.S. and you know not a lot of people have necessarily left compared to the coast. There's there's this kind of background story in the Twin Cities that if you grew up there, you basically move a mile from where you grew up, and your kids attend the same schools that uh, your parents did, and you know you just kind of stay stay local. And um, I know when I came to the Emirates, it was kind of a little bit of a shock to the family because it was so far away, um, and everybody else had stayed much closer. So it's fascinating that you say one that you know you had strong role models of women in the family who worked, and as well as your father. And then you said the travel situation. So tell me about your um, brothers and sisters. Did they travel uh, or did they stay close to home? So we had a lot of family trips growing up. I think we went at least one one or two places every year. Um, a lot of road trips in different provinces in Canada. I remember some East Coast trips, you know, to Boston area and Massachusetts, uh, California. So we, we got around and, and saw different places. But uh, yeah, I think all of us got the travel bug to some extent just from our experiences as children. I have probably gone the farthest. Um, my sister had gone away to school and university in St. Louis for her graduate studies and now lives in Wisconsin, which isn't too far away. Um, and she's done some international trips personally you know, over the years. Uh, my brother has a bit more of the travel bug, probably like myself. He actually now works for Delta Airlines down in Atlanta, and so he takes full advantage of those flight benefits. But um, yeah, I think all of us are curious about the world. We like seeing new places and, and meeting new people. Well, what were your favorite subjects at school? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> I loved reading, so English was always one of my, my favorite subjects. I enjoyed the sciences. I thought math was okay. And I guess I was kind of an all-around student where I didn't struggle in any one subject, so all subjects could be fun when you don't hate something just because you're not good at it. But yeah, I would say I had some really interesting kind of social science, social studies, geography classes in middle school where I got to do some kind of outside projects and do unusual kind of independent research projects for that age. I remember um, through my mom's connections at the police department, there is a local Hmong community in the Twin Cities and we are probably, I think, the first or second largest population of Hmong people outside of Laos where they were originally from. Um, and in Thailand area, and I had a chance to go and interview some of the elders in the community about what their transition was like to moving to Minnesota. And I think that opened up kind of a curiosity then about, well, what other stories don't you know? Um, and how are other people living that you might not be aware of? And um, But what I really appreciated about my high school was that there was this focus on social justice and seeing people that aren't normally seen, vulnerable populations. And as part of that, I had a chance to travel to Guatemala on a kind of social justice trip in my latter years of secondary school, probably my last year or two. And we spent time visiting these remote Guatemalan villages, um, learning about the civil war that had been happening there, talking to families who had lost people. Um, there's a lot of families that have those desparecidos, people that just disappeared, that they never heard from again. They don't really know what happened to them. And that was very powerful. And I think hearing people's stories in those spaces, you know, makes you reflect on your own life in different ways. And then it also um, challenges you as well to think about, well, where have I come from? What privileges have I had? And what do I do with those privileges? I don't have to feel bad about the privileges, but then how do I turn it around and do something useful? in the world. And, you know, I, I had some other instrumental teachers in high school in particular who, you know, really encouraged me to say that, you know, you're good at writing, you're good at the sciences, there's not a lot of people that can do 
you know, communicate well when it comes to the scientific and the technical subjects. And so that had put me on a path for university when I started looking at universities. Well, I want a double major, then I want to do something related to the environment and something maybe like journalism so that I can perhaps go and work for National Geographic and tell more stories about people and places around the world and, and yet tell it in a way that's coming from an informed space where you can actually discuss the scientific issues that are at the heart of these stories. And I just found that really fascinating. And what else besides studying? You know, I was just thinking about extracurricular activities, sports, music, arts. Were you interested in anything like that at school? Yeah, I think I did cross-country running in, in high school, and I had gotten involved in the speech club and the drama side of things. Uh, I won't say that I was especially musically gifted, but I tried my best and did <laughs> band and choir at various stages and time. And I think that those were really informative because you make different kind of friendships. And again, I would say probably a lot of my extracurriculars were more more academic. I, I probably felt more at home in some of the like the speech and the drama and, and the music than I did the, the sports scenes. But I did enjoy the cross-country running because it was a competition against yourself. I wasn't there to compete against anyone else other than myself. And you have that kind of target personal record time that you can look at every race to see, have I beat my time from the last race? And I, I enjoyed that. And the team element of being around um, you know, other girls and, and creating some traditions there was, was really fun. Um, and I think one of the things that my parents instilled very early on is that when you start something, you finish something and you show commitment all the way through. And so even if you didn't like something that you tried, you still finished out the season. And then when you found something that you did enjoy, then you commit to it and you kind of build over time and, you know, contribute what you can where you can. For example, on the cross-country team, I was there for four years. I wasn't the best runner on the team, but um, eventually the team voted me in to be the captain and they saw me in a leadership role for the other aspects that I brought, even if I wasn't the one that was crossing the finish line first. Um, and the same would be true for the speech and some of the other activities I was involved with. And um, yeah, I think that's probably a bit of a theme in life where you commit to things and you build communities and you build relationships and you do it in a way that um, you make some su substantial investments of yourself so that you can make that difference and it might not be changing the world, like a cross-country running team isn't going to do that, but you're making an impact on the people that are there with you and um, contributing in other ways, I guess. Yeah, and you brought out the elements of competition, and then you mentioned about leadership. And so moving on away from your uh, very invigorating life as a child, Katrin, did you go to university straight from school? I did. I mean, that was kind of the expectation at the time. I I was one of those kids who was a rule follower, being the oldest child, so I never gave my parents too much trouble. And I just kind of did what was expected of me to do. So you go to school every day, you do your best at school, you get your good grades, you get involved. And so when it came time to university, it was like, well, of course you're going to go to university. And at the end of it, it kind of came down to there was, there was a couple options. And I, I chose the one that, you know, financially made the most sense because university is expensive. And I, I stuck closer to home the University of Minnesota, Twin Cities, um, which is about probably 15 minutes away from my parents' house. But I was able to live on campus and pretend that I was farther away. And my parents really still only saw me at university breaks. <laughs> um, you know, in that regard, it was good. But I appreciated the university because it was a very large public land-grant university. Um, so they had a lot of different academic programs, and it could kind of cater to my interest in the environment. Um, as well as my interest in communications. And then obviously having access to faculty that are from all over the world, um, there's a lot of other expertise that was brought into the classroom 
that you know you wouldn't necessarily find at some smaller institution. So what did you study at university at your undergraduate level? I studied, uh, I ended up getting a Bachelor of Science in Environmental Science um, with a bit of an emphasis, I suppose, in sustainable agriculture. And then I also got a Bachelor of Arts in Journalism with a minor in Spanish. Um, again, at the time, my idea to be National Geographic um, <laughs> contributor was was kind of driving that initially when I had when I first joined the university. But uh, over time, that dream shifted and changed, and I realized I was probably not going to go work for National Geographic, and that was okay. Um, but I still really did enjoy kind of the science aspects as well as the um, the communication side of things. I think my very first internship in college. Um, was with Minnesota Institute for Sustainable Agriculture, and I got a chance to work on some different publications and resources that would be available to um, farmers who are looking to make the shift from conventional agriculture into more sustainable agriculture, and so that was really interesting. That was what actually got me started in, in looking more into agriculture. Was that something that you, an opportunity you created, or how can you remember? Oh, I think it's, it's, it's all these happenstance coincidences, I guess you could say. Um... I was in my first year at university and I was taking what they call as a freshman seminar. And those are courses that the university had set up that were especially for first year students. And they limited them to be 10 or 15 students per seminar. So you'd get a chance to engage with the professor that was leading the course. And it was around, I don't even remember what the course was around, but I think there's some element of leadership in it. And so based on that seminar, I ended up applying to the program and it was accepted. And there were five students from my campus, and we were probably, I guess, a bit more diverse. The other two universities had students participating that were from more, I would say, traditional agriculture backgrounds. A lot of them grew up on farms. A lot of them um, were studying traditional agriculture majors and degrees. It was kind of a cohort-based model, so we'd take little trips, and we spent you know, a week in South Dakota looking at a Native American community there and the Indian reservation and food issues and food system issues within that community. Uh, we ended up in North Dakota looking at kind of agriculture and food system issues in more traditional rural communities. And so I would say that that was quite eye-opening, and from that I made connections with different people, and that's kind of how I ended up in that first internship which gave me a chance to go and work in a PR firm the next summer, again, that was focused more on agricultural clients. And from there, I learned I really was not set up for a PR agency. I did not like the idea of billable hours. I did not like working for corporations. And so I think that really cemented my commitment to wanting to work more in kind of the community space, uh, nonprofit, academic space. Right. So what job did you choose from uh, leaving university then? Uh, my final year of university I spent in Australia um, at the University of Queensland, Brisbane, as a Rotary Ambassadorial Scholar. And I came back and had one class left at the university, and I happened to kind of land into the College of Ag, Food, Environmental Sciences, where I had done my degree in the admissions office there. It was kind of, again, one of those happenstance choices that I think really changed the direction of your life, um, because I worked at the university ultimately for around eight or nine years, and I think being in a land-grant institution that's really focused on that connection between research, training young people and professionals, and then engaging the community and making a difference in the community, that's a very unique mission for a land-grant university. Um, And so I was working in the college where that land-grant mission had started. And so the faculty there were very much down to earth, very much engaged with people. And I think I had 
working in academia, you have um, a lot of people that are just used to mentoring. They're used to working with young people. And so as a young professional coming out of my studies and kind of stepping into a professional space officially for the kind of first time as a full-time job, uh, I was very fortunate to have supervisors and other kind of people around me that saw potential and took me under their wing and said, right, let's let's get you set up here. And um, they saw things in me that I maybe did or didn't see in myself, but they gave me the opportunities to really kind of take that leap into the professional world. And um, yeah, I think it was a safe space because again, universities are all about trial and error and you make mistakes and you kind of move forward. But um, it was a really positive experience that I think gave me a different perspective on work because I could do things that I loved and felt like I was making a difference. I was tying in the areas of my studies and I was, you know, not directly in the way that I think I probably had thought when I started university, but still very much came into play. I worked as well for a while as an academic advisor with students in the environmental and plant sciences. So I knew the faculty subjects. I could talk to them about the subject areas. I knew the courses that the students were taking. We could talk about why they struggled in the courses or what they liked about the courses due to career advising, um, finding them international experiences to, to build into their degree program, you know, internships. I, I just really enjoyed all of that. Um, and I think it really, I like developing people. I think people took time to develop me. And, and so I like being able to give that back. And the academic advising was a natural place um, Ultimately, one of the professors that I was working with as an academic advisor was promoted to being the associate dean of education in the college. And when he got that promotion, he asked me to come with him to be kind of his chief of staff, I guess you could say, and, you know, make degrees more than just attending class and taking tests, but really bring their studies to life in ways that would get them excited about what they were going out to, in the world to do at the end of their time at the university. So what prompted the move to the United Arab Emirates and tell us how long you've been over here? So I had been at the university for probably about seven or eight years and I had the opportunity to go to New Zealand on a site study visit to look at building relations with the university there that students could go and do exchange programs with. Um, so it was a work-related trip but at the end of that trip I was like well I have not taken a holiday and traveled by myself ever. I'm going to go and sign up for a three-week backpacking trip across the South Island of New Zealand. Um, and on that trip, I met my now husband, um, and we had a great time. I went back to the States and resumed my life in Minnesota. He went back to the UAE and resumed his life here. But we stayed in touch. And a couple of years later, when it was time for me to kind of think about new opportunities professionally, it was also, well, now's a good time to see if we can be in the same place and see if this might work in real life. Um, so I would say it was both personal and professional that led me to the UAE. Um, he wanted me to just come over, but I said, I'm not coming without a job. <laughs> it's important to me to have a job. And then through his network, I was introduced to Dr. Ridge, who runs the al -Kasmi Foundation. And yeah, there happened to be an opening and I applied and I was lucky enough to get the opportunity to come over um, and work with the foundation. But um, yeah, I think in life, there's a lot of things that you know kind of come up and you've got the chance to take or not take. And I guess I've been very fortunate to take risks and to say yes to opportunities that um, scare me, but I think also opened up new doors and, and given me purpose and direction in life in kind of different and exciting ways. Yeah, and you mentioned also there about the networking and how important that is for, as you say, for getting a job. So tell us a little bit about your role at the foundation, please, Katrin. 
I've been with the foundation for 10 years or so. And when I started, the organization was only a couple years old. And I remember joining a team and there was probably about nine or 10 people total in the office at that time. But in my initial projects included kind of relaunching a website that made more sense. When I first applied for the job, I was like, what are they doing and why are they interested in me? Because their website wasn't very clear and I could, just couldn't see what opportunities they would have. It's since been revamped numbers of times, but I, I did that first big revamp. Um, and then, yeah, it was establishing things like the organization's newsletter, the contact database, um, again, working with the visiting scholars and grant application process, um, and a lot of collaboration building for the organization as well, just in terms of that partnership building. Yeah. And what's your title at the foundation? Currently, it is the Director of Grants and Scholarships. Um, so over those 10 years, what I love about the foundation, which probably caters to my curiosity as well, um, is that you're hired for one thing, <laughs> but inevitably new projects will come up and then they'll look at, oh, right, who has a skill set or who had previous life experience that might be relevant? Um, and so at some stage in those first few years I was at the foundation, we inherited um, the Overseas Scholarship Program and we were charged with getting more students ready to apply for overseas scholarships. And so at that point then I was tasked with launching basically a student development program to get kids ready for overseas studies. So that tied into a lot of my previous admissions work um, back in the U.S. It tied into my student development work and advising. It tied into some of the work that I had done with first-generation university students in the U.S. who, you know, come from different kinds of backgrounds and just hadn't had family members go to university before. We're coming to an end um, of our lovely discussion here, Catherine. Can you think of anything else that you want to add in that um, would explain your journey from where you started to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I just, I think my parents were just really good at cultivating independence and the idea that you are responsible for you. And I think that that idea of you want something, you can set your mind to it, you can figure out how to do it. And I think some of those early life lessons have, have influenced how I've thought about my working life in different ways. I mean, I had my first official job at 15 when I worked for McDonald's, which is by all accounts not a very exciting first job, but you know, it is when you get that first paycheck that's officially on someone else's paper. And I think that it also has taught me, again, going back to my parents, just that idea that when you have a job, you're making that commitment. And it's not this job hopping every two years, I'm going to do something else. I've been very fortunate. I've basically worked for two organizations and my, since, since I graduated university for the last 20 years or so. And, you know, by making the commitment to them, they've made the commitment to me and I've had opportunities with them that I wouldn't have had if I was just jumping from one employer to the next. They were looking out for me in ways that you've clearly outgrown this role. Well, here's another role that you could do and we want to see you step into. And I feel like that's, again, I've given a lot of myself to the organizations I've worked for. I've invested personally because there's a personal value alignment there that makes me feel like I'm making a difference. But it's been really, I think, rewarding to see that when you make that kind of personal investment, that if you're working for a good organization, they will make that investment in you in return. And that's not something that um, comes easily. And I think that, again, speaks to the relationships I've been able to build with my colleagues, with my supervisors, with the partners that we've worked with out in the community, where they've just, you know, it, you become part of an organization in ways that you've made contributions that you can't make otherwise. And um, it makes you feel like you've built some things when you are ready to move on to the next chapter that you can look back on and say, I did make that difference. That's lovely. Thank you very much to Katrin Mullen 
of the al Qasimi Foundation for Policy Research. Thank you. Today's episode was produced and recorded by Sabah Haag, edited by Renad Kitmito. If you like this episode, visit us at www.wiluae.com. Again, that is www.wiluae.com. And follow us on LinkedIn. Instagram, and subscribe to our show wherever you get your podcast. The Women in Leadership UAE podcast is produced by the team of researchers from the American University of Ras al-Khaimah and the American University of Sharjah, and that team includes Dr. Sabah Haq, Assistant Professor in Mass Comms, Dr. Mohammed Abeka, Department Chair in Management at the American University of Ras al-Khaimah, and Professor Narita Ahmed, who's Professor of Marketing and Information Systems at AUS. And myself, Professor Lindsay Kemp, Professor of Management and the Graduate Program Director of the School of Business at the American University of Ras al-Khaimah. That's all for today. We'll look forward to seeing you in the next episode.